You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Good Saturday afternoon. Welcome to Packers Total Access. I am your host, Clayton Bailey. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you want to email the show, you can do that by sending an email to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. The feedback has been great. We want to thank you guys for taking the time to do that. Now, um, first things first, um, like I said, it's a Saturday show. I, I'm not sure exactly when this will get out to you guys. The goal will be fairly soon. Hopefully, we can get it out Saturday evening. That way you'll have a little bit of content as Ryan is taking care of some uh, some stuff at home. And uh, I don't know all the details on it, nor if, if I did, it's not my place to uh, to even tell them. But I do know that we're going to be kind of filling in for just a just a bit. Um, you're probably going, oh, man, because I'm with you, dude. I'm the I'm the biggest Ryan Schlipp fan on the face of the earth. <laughs> Love the content he puts out, but I'm sure he'll be back very, very soon. But we're just going to uh, kind of fill that gap. So if you would, uh, just you know, uh, allow us a little bit of grace as we try to do that. Um, obviously, nobody can fill those big shoes, but uh, I'm really, really looking forward to uh, to him coming back and getting on a regular schedule. But with that being said, um, let's uh, let's kind of talk about what the show is going to be today. We're uh, we're not going to do a history segment. We're going to hit on the safety contracts, and as you guys know. We went through the entire roster hitting on these contracts to kind of give people an idea of, of where each position sits, uh, what it's looking like next year, how it's going to affect the future cap, all those things. So um, this will be the last episode that we do with contracts. Some of you are going, yeah. Others are going, oh, man, that sucks. So <laughs> what we're going to do is kind of bundle it all up with this episode and give you an idea of what we have looking forward as we uh, we finish up the safety position. And then we're going to jump into a, a, a new, uh, I don't want to say series, but a new phase of our show where obviously we have training camp coming up. There's going to be a dead period now that mandatory OTAs are wrapping up. And you got all this time before training camp starts, right? I think it's roughly a month. And then, obviously, with training camp, that very next week comes the preseason we're off and running. So what we're going to do to fill that void is we're going to go back and recap last season. You know, every offseason, um, the uh, the football team's coaching staff goes back and does what we call a self-scout, okay? And, and what they're doing is they're going back and looking at what they did the previous year and really picking themselves apart, almost like they're reverse game planning, right? And we're going to try to do that to a certain extent, and really the overall goal is for everyone to come away going, okay, here's here's the actual story of the 2021 Green Bay Packers. Here's what actually happened. The good, the bad, and the indifferent, right? That's going to be our goal. So, so we're going to step into that starting tomorrow on Sunday's episode with Jacob. And I think that'll be a lot of fun. I think it'll be a good way to kind of set the stage for training camp. It'll also give us a good parameter to look at, okay, what did we lose this year? Um, what did we gain, if anything, right? And, uh, and what to expect and uh, how the offense and the defense may change. I apologize if you may have heard some background noise just now. Um, I, maybe you didn't. Um, we have uh, <laughs> It gets a little bit hectic here at, at our place. Uh, we have a, a dialysis patient. Actually, my, my father-in-law is on dialysis. And you know we're blessed enough that when he had health ailments, we were able to move him in with us and, and have him kind of round-the-clock care. But uh, it's dialysis day, so it's uh, it's sounding like a circus downstairs as the EMTs are here to pick him up and <laughs> take him to that. But uh, he's uh, he's a a Vietnam veteran, um, was exposed to Agent Orange, and um, actually uh, w- worked on uh, aircraft carriers. Uh, he was a, an aircraft mechanic and also flew uh, flew a little bit. But um, yeah, exposure to Agent Orange has triggered a lot of stuff, unfortunately, um, in his life. But that's neither here nor there. Just wanted to explain the noise you may have heard in the background. And you guys are probably, uh, you know, you've heard me talk about my brother. Now you've heard me talk about my father-in-law. Now you probably understand why why the soldiers and the troops mean so much to me and the service that they provide for our country. So um, anyway, let's a little backstory there. So let's do this. Let's jump right into the safety contracts, okay? Let's look at um, kind of how it sits this year. We're going to do just the same format. What are the cap hits this year? And what is it going to be moving forward? How many years are left on their contracts? Are there any kind of uh, details or, or anything tricky? when it comes to each of these contracts that we need to look for as far as voidable years, things of that nature. So 
let's start off with uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Adrian Amos. Okay, Adrian Amos, um, obviously, is one of the most important players on this Green Bay Packers roster. I mean, when, especially on defense. When you look at the defensive side of the ball, he just does so much, both in the run and the pass. And um, I, unfortunately, it kind of feels like his time is coming. His, his The end is, is very, very near with him being a Green Bay Packer. Now, I'm hoping that's not the case. I'm hoping somehow they work it out. But one thing I have noticed about voidable years, um, you know, history dictates the future. I, I truly believe that in all aspects of life. And when you look at what the Packers and other teams have done when they've attacked on voidable years at any other position other than the quarterback position, those players typically, you know, move on pretty soon. Like, uh, you know, you talk about uh, with, um, uh, shoot, Zadarius Smith. Right, Zadarius Smith is a, a great example of that of how how they restructured the contract. Not necessarily voidable years, but kind of the same thing. Um, <clears throat> when you push that money out, they typically don't stay on the roster. It's uh, it's one of those things that, as from the player's perspective, it's here. Would you like a big signing bonus up front and modify your contract? Absolutely, I would. But really, it's kind of the the writing on the wall that they're probably not going to be with the team very long. Now, I'm hoping something gets worked out with Adrian Amos, but he sits this year at seven point two million dollars against the cap. Um, this is the last year of his contract. However, the way we were able to get under the cap, and, and you've heard me talk about other positions and the voidable years hasn't been a, an issue up to this point for the most part. Well, here you go. Here's here's one of the big, big voidable, uh, voidable year contracts that we have. So with Adrian Amos being $7.2 million against the cap this year, it's the last year on his contract, the last year that he's going to be with the Green Bay Packers you know, contractually. But we have four voidable years added. So basically the way it breaks down, next year he's not on the roster and he accounts for $7.9 million against the cap. I mean, that's pretty darn significant. Now, when you look at the fair market value on a player like Adrian Amos, he, you know, his cap hit this year at 7.2 is significantly under what the fair market value will be for someone of his caliber. So it's kind of a push in that regard. But at the same time, this is where it, you know, it hurts. So 7.9 against the cap next year, 2024, 2.2 .2 million against the cap. In 2025, he's 2.2 .2 against a cap. And then in 2026, 1.1. Now, <clears throat> when you get under $3 million as far as a cap hit with voidable years, and it's a player that's of starting caliber and borderline Pro Bowl material, I, I can kind of see that as being worth it. You know, someone made, they drew a comparison about voidable years. I think it was Ian Rapport, and it's amazing how their stories change and, and how the media will structure a comment or a, a piece on, um, on, on trying, to, trying to point out a negative aspect without even looking at the positive. He said, essentially, they're putting it on a credit card. He's talking about you know teams in general. It's, it's like swiping a credit card, and sooner or later, that's going to come due. It's nothing like swiping a credit card. There's no interest secured here. Like the, it's not like okay, this is the amount of money that we're going to pay. But if you do voidable years, you're going to be paying way more money later. That's not how it works. You're simply taking what was agreed for on the signing bonus and the option bonus. You're bundling that up into a total, and then you're extending that out over a certain amount of time. That's why with the Aaron Rodgers contract, you guys need to go back and watch uh, the the just the segment of the Pat McAfee show where Andrew Brandt was on it. I think it was last Wednesday, if I remember correctly. He said it perfectly. They said so, you know, and, and Pat McAfee with his dry sense of humor and his sarcasm, just it was it was hilarious because if you guys remember, Ian Rappaport said this is a three-year, $150 million deal. He's going to be making $50 million per uh, off of this contract extension. Okay, so you're just going to exclude the rest of the contract in which was extended. Okay, that's fine. But, but Andrew Brandt, like he pointed out, this is not a three- or a five-year deal. He said, and this is a, you got you to gotta kind of know how to read between the lines, read between the comments, the BS that the media puts out there. So essentially what Andrew Brandt said was, um, this is a one-year, $47 million deal. And you're probably going, well, Clayton, how's the only $28 million against the cap? That's where they pushed money out. So if he were to retire after this year, the way Andrew Brandt made it sound, and also Ian Rappaport made it sound three reports later, and kind of just said it under his breath that this could be something that could be extended out over multiple years. That's what he was talking about. So you could take that forty-seven million. If he's twenty-eight million against the cap, whatever the remaining bonus is of that forty-seven million, you could stretch that out in voidable years over the next, you know, five years, whatever you need to do. Which would be chump change for the MVP and that cap number. The fact that Jordan Love's cap number would be so low if indeed Aaron walked away from this year. 
then you're, you're good to go. Now, what I think will happen, I think there's a good chance that Rodgers plays beyond this year. I really do. Is there a chance that he retires? Absolutely. Um, and all that's going to come down to how successful the team is, too. I mean, that really plays into um, into that topic. So when you look at it from that standpoint, it's, you know, first of all, let me back up. Andrew Brandt said that. You had that little nugget from Ian Rappaport that he, he – it was almost like he was like, a, oh, crap, I can't believe I let that slip out because I know the narrative is he's making $50 million per year, and it's at least – it's a three-year extension. Well, Andrew Brandt made his comment, and then if you listen to Aaron Rodgers in his press conference, he said, yeah, essentially the contract – we structured the contract in a way that we could free up money this year. Okay, so how – how is that not team friendly? But I'm gonna kind of let that die. Okay, let's just let that go. It just cracks me up. But it's hard for me to to let people just skate by and say that it wasn't a team friendly deal. But um, he said it's essentially a one plus a two with an option of a three. Now with the option bonuses, things can get real tricky. Unless you anybody who's telling you they completely understand that contract and they haven't seen it, please don't listen to them because there's going to be details in the option aspect of that contract that's going to determine how much of that money is actually going to be paid to Aaron, how much of it's going to go against the cap. There's going to be some things in there that's going to be able to be finagled. Now, the signing bonus cannot, right? And, you know, when it comes to a roster bonus or a workout bonus, those are pretty self-explanatory. The signing bonus is pretty much set in stone. But when it comes to uh, the option aspect of the bonus, that's where it's going to come down to what were the exact negotiations. Because, again, the media let it slip out that this seems like it's a three-year commitment. That's exactly correct. It's the Packers saying, we'll structure this in a way that you know we're not going to move on from you within three years, if indeed you want to play. But Aaron, obviously, with the Tay information coming out, it sounds like Tay moved on because Aaron wasn't 100% committed to playing past this year, right? So it's a one-year, $47 million deal. And uh, there's some other things they can do to push that cap up this year. If indeed we're under the cap and they want to go uh, go in that you know in that direction and kind of pay that money up front as far as towards the cap because you know how rollover works and things like that. So I mention that because there's still some room to move around. Now when it comes to this voidable contract with Adrian Amos, to me it seems like he's probably played. This will be his last season in Green Bay. Now, what I could also see happening, though, think about it. He's against he's seven point nine against the cap next year, right? So, what if he he's twenty nine years old? Let's say he comes out and he has a good, a great season, right? Well, he's going to be stepping into you know he's going to be thirty years old next year. He's going to be testing free agency. They'll probably let him go test the market. And if he comes back and he, and he says, hey, hey, here's my best offer. My best offer was actually, you know, an average of $5 million per year. Then the Packers have to look at it and go, okay, is Adrian Amos, if we want to match that offer, is he worth $12 million per year because he's already on the books for 7.9 against the cap this year? Call it $13 million, right, total. And I just don't see him being worth that. Now, if the market is completely depleted, and he gets inflated numbers, he's going to take a contract somewhere else and it's game over, right? But if the if the market is saturated with other great safeties, then that number may be a little bit lower and he might be in the ballpark where we could make that happen. Now, another thing is, does Adrian Amos want to stay in Green Bay and is he willing to sacrifice money? Because they could sign him to an extension and kind of balance that out. You know, an extension in which uh, they're only on the hook for one year, really, kind of like how they did Russell Douglas, where they can get out of it fairly easy. And let's say it's just, you know, $2 million against the cap this next year in 2023. Then that puts his cap number right at $10 million. That might be worth it for a one-year rental on a guy who knows the defense, knows the coaching staff, knows everything in and out about Lambeau Field now, and he's considered a team leader. So this is – it's going to be difficult because if I had to say one way or another right now, Adrian Amos is probably not going to be a Green Bay Packer next year, and it breaks my heart because I really like the guy. So that's how his contract breaks down. Moving on to number two, Darnell Savage. Okay, with Darnell Savage, um, this is uh, one of those deals where when it first happened – um, I was like, okay, is it a one-year rental? You've heard me kind of talk about it a little bit. Um, how how is this set up? You know, in 2022, his cap hit is 3.9 million against the cap. I think he's I think he's worth that. I do. He underperformed last year, but he's he's really got to show up this year if he wants that extension. But they've already picked up the fifth-year option for next year, which is 7.9 million dollars fully guaranteed. Okay, so he is on the roster next year for essentially what Adrian Amos is against the cap this year. So he's probably, it kind of looks like the plan is for him to fill that void of Adrian Amos. Now, I know they play two different positions, free safety and strong safety, but you, you've got to decide, in my opinion, you can't have two 
really expensive safeties on your roster when you're when you have a franchise quarterback like Aaron Rodgers and you're paying money to people like Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon, you got to kind of pick your poison there, right? So I kind of feel like Savage will be the future at safety most likely. But here's the one thing that that really comes to mind. This is the stuff that I was looking at going into draft season. If you guys remember, I had safety as a one of the top needs. Right. And this is why, because you could see this building up and, and it's kind of the, the story that's not talked about. If you look at the contracts, if you look at the contracts as a whole, it really tells you a story. It tells you, OK, you can see the vision for the team and what they want their identity to be. And it's obvious that they want their identity to be strong up front in the trenches and at the linebacker position and the corner position. So they I could see them letting Amos go having Darnell Savage play next year and really earn a contract extension and then, you know, going out and drafting another safety, right? So, um, yeah, that's how that sits. Now, with Darnell Savage, again, like I said, next year, 7.9. So you got him for two years. So you've got a starting caliber safety, but you've got a safety void that you're going to have to fill with Amos, uh, you know, walking away most likely. So up next is Vernon Scott. This is what the Packers do so well. They do not waste money on the bench. Okay, Vernon Scott's only on the books for $915,000 against the cap, and uh, he's got two years left on his deal this year and next year. Okay, so there is your backup. Now, can Vernon Scott play uh, starting strong safety? I don't know enough about Vernon Scott to say that. I know on the surface as a fan, it doesn't seem like he's starting caliber, but, you know, only time will tell when it comes to that. So up next is Sean Davis. He's on the books for $825,000 this year. It's just one year, so he'll be gone next year most likely. Then you've got Trey Sterling, $705,000. He's on one of those kind of – it kind of looks like a futures contract um, for a a three-year deal for seven oh five. so he's under contract for three years. If he has any talent whatsoever, you want him to make the roster somehow. And the reason being is because that's going to be very, very valuable to have that minimum contract and someone to help fill out that roster at the safety position. And then you've got a uh, Ray Wilborn at seven hundred and five thousand, but it's just a one-year deal. Now, the Tariq Carpenter effect really comes into play here. You guys know they drafted Tariq Carpenter this year. When they drafted him, I was thinking he was going to be a safety. If it, I don't want to misquote people, but it seems like the consensus coming out of camp is they see him as a, an inside linebacker, and he's going to be a hybrid player. But I'm telling you, there's so much value there with Tariq Carpenter. The fact that he could play safety. Um, if we got into an emergency situation, right? So that's something that really, really comes into play. So, um, you know, again, Savage, Vernon Scott, Trey Sterling are going to be your three returning players next year. And then Tariq Carpenter could fill into that fourth void. However, I see them going out and drafting safety next year. So I mention that because this is the time, guys, as college football season is going to get cranking up here in a couple of months. This is the time that you want to if, – if there's if you're not a huge college football fan but you just love football and you want to watch a little college football, what I would suggest is these positions that we talk about where we could see, all right, they're going to be looking to fill a void there most likely unless some, something crazy happens with Adrian Amos and they work out an extension. Um, now what I do, this is how I follow college football, not being a huge college football fan. I like going, okay, who are the top projected safeties in the league this year? Okay, I'm going to try to watch them and catch some of their games and look at some of their highlights and kind of get familiar with them. Because when you look at the contract, and when I was talking about how the contracts sit, they tell a story. They really tell the story of the direction the team's going in. That allows you to look at college football through a different lens. If indeed you want to look at it into it, you know, that deep. I just think that stuff is is really, really cool. So that's your safety position. Now we're going to dive into a different aspect. We're going to kind of look at some calculated market values to give you guys an idea of how the Packers are doing against the against the market. Because you know the market drives drives the cost and the value. I don't care what anybody says. It's like when you're selling a house, man. You it amazes me how people go to sell a house and that well I think it's worth more than that. Okay. The house is only worth as much as someone's willing to pay for it. That's what determines true market value. That's the only way that you can determine true market value in anything. You may think your old beat-up 98 Ford Explorer is just something special because it's got some sentimental value to you. But if you look at the last three that were sold within a 20-mile radius of you, that's the real value, right? So I think it's important to look at uh, you know calculated market values. And we're using Spotrack for all this. But before we jump into that, let's take us a quick commercial break. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. 
What's us days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so when we look at calculated market value, I'm just going to look at a handful of players here and kind of give you an idea of of how the Packers have put this roster together and done it very, very well. You know, you got Aaron Rodgers at the top. Um, His calculated market value is $46.6 million. Okay, he's only $28 million against the cap, as we've talked about. Next, you've got Rashawn Gary. His calculated market value, according to Spotrac, is $20.5 million. Okay, he's on. He's he's not even making ten million until next year. I think he's making five million this year. So you're fifteen million under the calculated market value. Okay, moving on to next year, he's going to be ten million dollars against the cap, right? Still, you're going to be ten million below calculated market value. Now we want a contract extension to happen sooner rather than later, and I think we're sitting in a good spot with Rashawn Gary because simply, Rashawn Gary is one of those players that he he doesn't have the huge sack totals. We, we know how to watch the game of football. We see the pressures that he applies. We see how he plays the run. You can bet your sweet AWS that the coaching staff sees that way more than we do. Right? That's why I like PFF grades because it grades what the player is supposed to be in the defense, and it's not just looking at sack totals, interception totals, all that stuff. When you take into consideration win rate and and uh, you know and uh, and uh, pressure rate and all that stuff, and Ryan does such an excellent job with the SIS information and all that, kind of showing the true pressure rate. That's how we know that that uh, Rashawn Gary is a monster on the field where the average fan would look at it and go, oh, he, I mean, he didn't crack 10 sacks. You don't even know what he's at being asked to do in the defense. You don't know just how important those pressures are. Let's, let's put it this way. If a fan says, if you ask the fan and said, hey, I got two players here and um, one got 10 sacks last year and the other only got five, which one are you taking? Well, on the surface, you say, oh, the 10 sacks, absolutely. If he can fit on our cap, that's the guy I'm taking. Okay, cool. Tell the same story. That player with 10 sacks, let's say he only had 30 pressures, but the guy with five sacks had 55 pressures. Now who do you want on your roster? <laughs> right? Because the goal isn't necessarily to sack the quarterback. The goal is to blow up the play. It's it's to force, this is Bill Belichick 101, it's to force the offense to play left-handed. And when you get a high pressure rate like that, you're taking pressures over sacks any day, in my opinion. Now, if it's close, you know, if it's 10 sacks, okay, this guy's got 10 sacks and he only got 20 pressures, and this guy over here had five sacks, but he got 23 pressures, I'm probably going with the first guy because he's hitting home and the pressure rate isn't that different, right? It's kind of like one of those things you got to calculate. So uh, that's the way I look at that. But I say that because Rashawn Gary, um, we, we're sitting really, really nice with him. Jair Alexander, his calculated market value is $15.8 million. This year he's on the books for way less than that, right? But next year he jumps to $20 million, okay? So we're going to be above the calculated market value. However, we know there's going to be other corners signed. That market has been set. It's so good that they got Jair done before the, the start of this season because that's going to – I think if we, we reassess this next year, when it comes on the books, what Jared, uh, Jair Alexander's – uh, cap hit will be next year. I think what's going to happen is you're going to look up and go, oh, wow, we're under the calculated market value. And that's why you've got all these players under the calculated market value. Up next is Elton Jenkins. Calculated market value, $14 million. Well, well below that. We're looking to extend them. we got to make sure the, the knee is healthy, right? Preston Smith up next, 12.2 is his calculated market value. Preston Smith's right, right around where he needs to be as far as calculated market value. Bob Tunyon is one that I love. I think they're paying him a little less than $4 million against the cap this year. His calculated market value is $10.8 million. Pretty remarkable. Um, Rasul Douglas right around that ballpark. Alan Lazard. Alan Lazard, you know, as much as people say, Alan Lazard isn't a number one receiver. 
Well, I don't think he's worth the tender that we signed. Okay, well, the tender is saying he's worth roughly $4 million. The, the calculated market value says he's worth 7.8, almost double that. So, yeah, I think it's a great deal. And, of course, Devondre Campbell, you know, uh, it's just I really like the way this is set up. You know, A.J. Dillon is on a, a very, very tiny contract. His calculated market value is $3 million. So the Packers, when you look at it from a global standpoint, have done really, really well with staying under budget as far as comparing apples to apples to the rest of the league. Everything's relative when it comes to contracts. And, and some people like to look at just a specific player and go, he isn't worth that. Okay, why isn't he worth that? Because that's just too much money. Why is it too much money? You shouldn't pay one player that. Oh, really? Have you looked around the league? Have you seen Aaron Donald's contract? <laughs> have, you, have you seen Cooper Cups? And this is what cracks me up. People, you know, typically the argument with the Rams is, well, the, you know, people say the cap's fake. And they, oh, yeah, if it's fake, then how come they had to let people walk? Well, you're always going to have to let some people walk. But when you look at the cash over cap value, basically what's going on right now in the league, guys, is these owners are writing huge checks for cash. And they do that because when you do it in a form of a sign-in slash options bonus, you can now spread that money out over the life of the contract. So essentially with Aaron Donald, three-year extension, I don't want to dig too deep into other teams' contracts, but you know it's basically $30 million per, right? Well, they were able to spread that out. If he had two years left on his contract, it was a three-year extension. That makes it a five-year total contract. They can now take that signing bonus and extend that out over five years and make the base salary minimal, and that's how you do cash over cap and free up cap room right now. Yes, they will have to pay that bonus later, but here's the cool thing. Let's say you get three years into this. Let's say you get two years in and Aaron Donald still wants to play and you find yourself in cap trouble, now what you do is go, okay, we're going to tack on voidable years. The remaining aspect of that contract, Aaron, we want to give it to you in a cash check form. Would you do that? Oh, heck yeah, put it in my pocket. Okay, cool. Now let's add on you know, three to five voidable years, and you take that money that you just converted to signing bonus, and you extend it out. And you, you know, people who say, well, that's just bad business. Okay, uh, once again, a team st- first of all, it's a loophole they're trying to close. Not every owner can write that check. At least that's what some people say. Now, it, who do you think is the team that's that's the most vulnerable when it comes to being able to do this? And when I say that, it's cash over cap, being able to pull out a wad of cash and going here, that I'm going to pay you the signing bonus, this signing bonus up front, so we can minimize the cap hit. To me, it would have to be the Green Bay Packers. They have no billionaire owner. That's funding this. They don't. They don't have you know the Cronkies and and the Walton family and you know nobody like that. That's funding all this, right? Where they have just an endless amount of money, and they were just able to do it with Aaron Rodgers. Now they didn't do it in an avoidable year form, but you're talking about 150 million dollar check that they're they're willing to write to Aaron, right? Then, I mean, I, I if if the Packers can do it, it sounds like. You could say it's a loophole. You could say the cap's fake. I think all of those comments are true to a certain extent. But it's going to get very, very interesting because there are some owners that are trying to close this loophole. But you've got the Jerry Joneses. You've got the Cronkies. You've got the Walton family. You've got all, all these you know, very, very, very wealthy owners. Tepper, Te- Tepper's the mo- I think he's the second wealthiest owner in NFL right now actively. He owns the Carolina Panthers. He has so much money that when he went to buy the Carolina Panthers, someone outbid him. But when they outbid him with their investors and their financing, he came back and said, yeah, you know what? Um, how about you sell it to me uh, $200 million less, and I'll write you a check today. You ain't got to worry about dealing with the financing aspect and the investment group. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds good to us, right? These guys have so, so much money. It's it's unbelievable. And, and I'm not here to bash somebody for having too much. I don't know what they do. I don't know what they give back. That's what always cracks me up is when people bash the the uber wealthy, right? And they're like, oh, nobody deserves that much money. Well, they should be doing more, you know, with their money. Okay, you want to compare? How much did they give and how much did you give last year? That's when it gets quiet. Because <laughs> typically the loudest person in the room has the least amount to say. So um, I just think it was important to look at uh, the calculated market value there just a little bit and kind of talk about what they have done good. Now, I'll be honest with you, um, with, from the Adrian Amos uh, you know, uh, contract view, man, that, that's a, it's a bad deal. There's no two ways about it. They, they knew they, they wanted and needed him on this defense, 
and they knew they needed to free up money now because they were trying to, you know, re-sign Tay. And I, I guarantee you, if they knew that's how it would end with Tay, they would have done things a little bit different. But it's the price we're going to have to pay. Essentially, what Adrian Amos is getting paid, if you want to include the voidable year next year, you're basically paying him $14 million to play for the Packers this year. That's what. That's kind of how I break that down. The seven million next year, the seven million this year, and is Adrian Amos worth fourteen million? When you ask that question, it's okay. You can either save the fourteen million, spend it somewhere else, or keep him on the roster. I think my answer would be keep him on the roster. Uh, I'm not saying it's like, uh, you know, I'm completely sold on that stance, but uh, yeah, I feel pretty confident in saying that's the right move. So, yeah. Now let's look at cap space. Okay. Currently, you know, isn't it amazing? Everybody talked about how this was going to hurt the Packers. This was going to destroy the Packers. I mean, this is just going to completely blow up their salary cap, right? Well, the Packers currently sit not, not in ninth place in cap space across the league. Ninth place. They have the ninth highest amount of cap space right now. They're sitting at $16.7 million in surplus, okay? The books are balanced great this year. Now, you know, you heard me talk in the last episode. Next year, according to Spotrack, now J.J. Leahy covered some numbers, and I think he came up with $7 million. Okay, now he may be uh, accounting for rollover. I don't know what website he was using. This is all from Spotrack. I, f- I have the most confidence in Spotrack. I'm not saying that his information was wrong and mine was right, but to compare apples to apples, I, they're probably both right uh, in a certain extent. I'm going to stick with Spotrack so we don't get numbers crossed up and get confused. But according to Spotrack, next year we are negative uh, 14.5 million against the cap, okay? And we have 45 players under contract, which means to get to that top 51 we talked about, you need to sign six players, but you're negative 14.5 million in cap. That's before we do any extensions. But think about this, guys. We are 16.7 million in the surplus this year. Okay, if they don't go out and sign anyone else, if they don't go sign an OBJ or anybody like that, right? And and I'm at the point now, I kind of hope they don't. I hope they make no more signings unless it's just pennies, pennies on the dollar. You know, contracts that are less than $3 million, maybe one or two players at that price, I'm totally cool with. But if they don't sign another single player, they have their roster filled out today. They will roll that $16.7 million into next year's salary cap. Now, typically, they say the number is 5 to $7 million that a team needs to keep on hand to be able to operate with injuries and things like that. Things happen during the season where you have to sign another player. It's kind of the, the rule of thumb, or not the rule of thumb, but the, the, the commonality when it comes to owners across the, the league and, and front offices that you want to keep roughly $5 million in cap space open, 5 to $7 million. They have 16.7. So let's say they stay right there, okay? And then as the season wraps up, they didn't have to make any more signings. Probably won't happen. And also, though, they you know, let's say they didn't extend anyone and free up cap for this year or next year. Uh, that probably won't happen. But 16, or it probably won't won't happen. I guess is the right way to say it. But at 16.7 million rollover, guess what, guys? We're back in the green next year. You you roll that 16.7 over. And we are $2.2 million in the green next year. And we only have six payable roster spots that we need to fill out. Well, we all know they're going to draft at least six rookies. Let's say they draft 10 players next year. Okay? They draft 10 players, and they take their pick of the litter and keep whatever eight they want. Your roster is filled, you're under on the cap, and you haven't even done any more voidable years or extensions. So this is why we don't need to panic for next year. Now, let me give you the bad news, though. The bad news, in my opinion, is look at how the roster sits next year. And, and what I like to do is break the, I like to break the roster down into two, two different sets, okay? I look, at, I look at what personnel they ran on offense and defense the majority of the time, okay? On defense, it's hands down, it's nickel. And it, typically their nickel is a two four five. Now there's variations of three three five, and and they might even slide into a dollar here or there, depending on the matchup situation. But for the most part, on offense, last year the Green Bay Packers were in eleven personnel, sixty one percent of the time. Now if you don't know what eleven personnel is, the first number is running backs, the second number is tight end. Okay, so the Packers were in eleven personnel, sixty one percent of the time. Twelve. 12 personnel, 29% of the time. One running back, two tight ends. Okay, so now when you look at the roster and go, okay, which players are not on the roster next year contractually? 
Okay, you've got three wide receivers that I think are pretty significant wide receivers. Randall Cobb, Sammy Watkins, and Alan Lazard are not under contract for next year. It's I think it's safe to say those those very well may be your three starters this year. Okay, that's not a good look. And, and you know, we all agree the wide receiver room is weak, right? I'm not saying it's horrible, not like the way the media tr- portrays it, but it's very weak. Okay, so with those three guys not being on the roster next year, man, wide receiver, that leaves a big hole. Now, here's the good news. We've spent zero next to zero dollars at the wide receiver position. So that's definitely somewhere where we can afford to spend money next year. If we do extend people, do some voidable years and free up cap space. Right. This is assuming Aaron Rodgers comes back, guys. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't come back next year, the whole ball game changes. His cap hit comes off the books. You extend it out. You probably add some voidable years to, to minimize the hit for a long period period of time and then you got Jordan Love on this very very small contract stepping in at quarterback I don't know about you guys I don't want to think about the day that Aaron Rodgers has gone off the roster I don't agree with everything he talks about all of his stances some of the weird quirky stuff but you cannot deny the talent this man has and how important he is to the team and how he's a leader in the locker room both with the coaching staff and the players and his teammates you know so when you look at that though wide receiver really sticks out to me next is tied in you're going to be losing Tunyon and Lewis. Those are hands down the two best tight ends on our roster right now. Okay, They'll both be gone next year. Defensive line, Jerron Reed. We don't know how good Jerron Reed's going to be this year. right? I'm personally not concerned about it because you've got Wyatt. I think Wyatt's really going to compete with Reed to get playing time. I do. Plus, you've got TJ Slayton playing nose, and they're already talking about Jacob covered it last week, did it very, very well, talking about how TJ Slayton, they really want to force him into that nose tackle role. Um, that way they can bring in Kenny Clark uh, more often at different positions, different techniques, spread them around and take care of, you know, take advantage of mismatches. So when you look at it from that perspective, your nickel defense that you're in there the majority of the time, when Jerron Reed walks in free agency again, assuming they don't re-sign him, I don't, I don't think they will as far as an extension. They may let them test the market and bring him back on another one-year rental, but you're going to have Wyatt and Kenny Clark uh, at your defensive line position, the majority of those snaps, it's something like 60, close to 70% of the time you're in nickel. You're in that that 11, uh, you know, facing against 11 personnel. When I say nickel, 11 personnel typically triggers a nickel defense, right? And with the nickel defense comes uh, 2 4 5 with the Green Bay Packers for the most part. Like I said, some 3 3 5 and other vari- variations, but that's pretty much it. And then the big dog, the big knock, I'm sorry, is safety, Adrian Amos. That's going to be your top priority, in my opinion. Reed can be filled. You know, the wide receiver position, you spent a lot of draft capital this year. Um, let's say that that Romeo uh, Dubs does. Uh, I still don't even know if it's Dubs or Dobbs. It's hilarious. Every podcast I hear, one says Dobbs, one says Dubs, and they both say, oh, man, I can't get that right. I, keep, I feel like we're all just teetering. We're going back and forth on this merry-go-round, and we hear someone else say it one way and think that's correct and go, oh, crap, I've been messing it up. You switch it up, and by the time their next episode hits, they're saying it the other way. It's, just, it's funny. <laughs> but um, you got Dubs, you got Christian Watson, right? Uh, you got those guys that were drafted, and you, I mean, you got Samori Torre as well, but I feel like those two guys, uh, along with uh, Amari Rogers, are going to be your, your top three receivers. So you're losing three, and I think those three should be able to step into that role if indeed you did hit on those. If Amari takes the step that I think he's going to take this year, and Dubs proves to be a solid receiver like everybody's saying in camp. I mean, he's been kind of the, the camp talk, in my opinion. And Christian Watson develops into that burner that, that we want there on the outside. Then those are going to be your top three receivers, and I'm not near as concerned about it. So when the rest of the league is overpaying immensely for the wide receiver position, we're going to be sitting there with two second-year players on very, very small contracts. That's going to, that's going That would be really, really nice. So I mentioned all that as we wrap this up. I wanted you guys to get an idea of kind of how the roster sits next year. That way, when college football cranks up, you can go, okay, yeah, I remember Clayton talking about wide receiver, tight end, defensive line, and safety. Not in that order. Priority, I would say safety, wide receiver, tight end, defensive line. And kind of look at the at the national you know scope of, of college football players and go, okay, who are the best at those positions? And you start to develop your favorites. 
you start to watch a little bit of film. You start to look at highlight reels and give us feedback on it. We can kick ideas back and forth, and that's how scouts operate, though, guys. It's not like, okay, it's draft time. Let's go look at the information. This is the time of the year that everything's being scheduled for these scouts to go up. And, and here's the thing, too. It's not like it's the first time they've seen these players at these positions. They're following up on their scouting reports for last year. They were watching freshmen and sophomore last year going, you know, how, how do those players pan out? Because those are going to be the future stars. And obviously with the juniors and the seniors, it's it's way more evident. But this isn't just a one-year scouting plan. These reports are being put together every single year. And here's what's going to get tricky. Scouts are put uh, into certain areas. They're called area scouts, and they have priorities with positions that they're keying in on area scouts. Now, what's funny is you may go in with it as an area scout and cross-scout someone and just send a report, hey, this guy really flashed to me. I know it's not my position, but you may pass that information along to the scout that's handling that position in that area, and you guys are sharing info back and forth, and that's how players are found. Hey, a really cool story. It's, it's away from the Green Bay Packers, but I think it's worth mentioning. Uh, in the book I'm reading right now, Football Genius, it talks about how Bill Walsh went out to watch, I think it was either a wide receiver or a tight end workout. And the guy didn't have a quarterback to throw to him. Well, they, they got a, a young kid to come in that was local there at the time to come in and throw to this receiver, right, or this tight end. I can't remember exactly which position it was. But he comes in to throw to him, and, and <clears throat> Bill Walsh was you know head over heels in love with this this pass catcher, right? But the quarterback they brung in was like, holy cow, this dude. And Bill Walsh had this uh, inept uh, uh, ability to see certain traits within the quarterback position and go, that's my guy. He did it multiple times throughout the course of his career. Well, he seen this quarterback, and he forgot about the pass catcher. He was like, I want this quarterback on my team. Guess who that quarterback was? Joe Montana from Notre Dame. The rest is history. Did the same thing with Steve Young when he traded for Steve Young. Talked about going in the room with his coaches and his staff and said, all right, guys, I'm thinking about trading for Steve Young. I know we got Joe Montana on the roster. You know, Everybody freaked out because we drafted Jordan Love. Could you imagine the Packers going and trading for another quarterback and giving up you know, decent draft capital or players and collateral to obtain another starting caliber quarterback while Aaron was on the roster. Oh, my God, the universe would explode. It's just amazing how it's a, a different time today. But he did the same thing going and getting Steve Young. Here's another quarterback that he liked a lot. He's seen as they were scouting in different areas. I think he said he actually sent Mike Holmgren over to scout him, which is kind of cool. You know, Mike Holmgren being an assistant coach, hey, you know, the scouts are giving us good information on this guy. Go check it out. It was a guy who was drafted. I believe, if I remember the story correctly, he was drafted by the New England Patriots to play safety, but he was a quarterback. And uh, he wanted to play quarterback. His name was Rich Gannon, you know, the guy that won an MVP. Uh, it's just pretty cool how scouts find these guys. So, um, But, yeah, the as far as the cross-scouting and stuff, it's something that happens. And um, I think it's uh, it, I think it would be really, really cool as a community, as a Packernet community, that if we really focus on watching college football a little bit more this year in our Packers downtime and, uh, and kind of get an idea of, of who are these players at these positions we think are going to be weaknesses. Now, the scouts may go out and gather information and go, it's a weak class at that. All right, let's be a little bit aggressive at that position in free agency. Boom, go sign them. I honestly feel like that's what happened with Zadarius and Preston. That year, I feel like their their scouts went out and said, ah, we just can't really find uh, that one or two edge rusher that, that we feel like is worth it for us to, to really go up and overpay for. Let's go get these two guys that are proven. And it completely revolutionized the defense. I remember listening to Ryan's podcast when that happened. And him being so fired up that we put together this defense that was finally going to be a bully on the block, right? We were building a bully for once on defense. And I remember, I honestly remember thinking, man, I hope you're right, but I don't think it's that big of a And boom, that year they blew up. And Ryan, Ryan's seen it way before I did with Preston and Zadarius. So, um, yeah, it's just really cool to look back. Is it not like to look back on the the, the recent years and, and how the team evolved and, and came to, to be and – and now here we sit with Joe Barry and, and Matt LaFleur. And um, I think I think the future is very bright for the Green Bay Packers, and I'm really, really excited to see uh, what happens here in the next few years. So 
as we wrap up the show here, we're at the 42-minute mark, so we're going to try to try to end here a little bit early. Um, I do want to say this. This wraps up. This concludes our contractual look at the Green Bay Packers. I hope you enjoyed it. I really, really did. My goal going in wasn't to break down every position, but when the news cycle is slow and everyone else is just trying to – not everyone else, don't get me wrong. There's, there's a lot of great podcasts and, and coverage out there, but it seemed to me like people try to fill that void with drama. They try to fill that void with negative stuff. You know, the last few days I, I get on Twitter, I'm like, oh, I wonder what's going on in Green Bay. All I've seen is Aaron Rodgers is dating a witch now. I'm like, what? What? He's dating a witch. First of all, how do you even know she's a witch? How do you how do you know anything about her religious background too? Like, do you pe- is that is that the goal as a fan or as a reporter? Is okay, guys. Aaron Rodgers got a new girlfriend. Let's go see. Let's go see how weird this chick is. I don't understand it. I just don't understand why the media coverage needs to be that way. And the other thing I seen was Sammy Watkins identifies as a lizard. A lit what? He believes that he's a living lizard. Okay, if he does, that's weird. I agree. But you know what's even even more weird? You know what's even stranger? The fact that you took the time to dig into that and then report it as if it's Packers news. Says a lot about your reporting skills, in my opinion. So, anyway, that's how I feel about that. It's just, man, it's a strange time. So, I say that because what I wanted to do was fill this void with information where we all come away learning something about the Packers roster and we can kind of jump into the free agent, or not the free agent, but the GM office and go, all right, what are we looking like for the upcoming year? Who's really playing for their football life? that might see significant playing time because of it. Who's worth sacrificing a little bit of talent in a cut to keep a player on that's got a multi-year deal because that's going to help us against the cap next year? What contracts are looking to be extended, and who does it make sense to tack on voidable years? Because here's the deal, guys. Whether you like the voidable years or not, this is the NFL today. You're either going to do it or or you're not. And the fact is the teams that are doing it are successful. There's no two ways about that. The teams that are tacking on voidable years are the ones that are competing. The L.A. Rams just smoked everybody's head. And I hear so many people say they're not that good of a team. Well, they've got the Lombardi. Uh, The same people that say that, what you need to ask them is, okay, so you would rather us have our Green Bay Packer team last year than a Lombardi. You would rather us say, well, we were the better team than have that Lombardi award? No. Okay, then let's let's be real about this. They, they, They are the poster child for voidable years. And it's because they've got an owner that can shell out the money. And we just showed that we had the cash on hand too. I'm telling you right now, Mark Murphy deserves a medal. The, the stuff that that guy's done for the financial aspect of the Green Bay Packers is unbelievable. If you guys haven't been to Titletown, just Google it. Check it out and look at what all he's done. I, the, just in real estate, in in leasing and selling property and stuff right there locally where they have these huge condominiums and all this stuff right next to Lambeau Field. I think they said that they profited over $200 million last year just off of that project alone. And it's and it's just getting cranked up. When I was there for the Seattle game back in November last year, they were still working on the buildings. Plus, you've got all of the restaurants in Titletown that are being leased. This may bore you. If it does, skip on to the next podcast. But this is the stuff that matters when it comes to the business of the Green Bay Packers. And if you guys just learn a little bit from listening to an episode where we cover this stuff, it's worth taking the time, especially in the offseason. I would rather talk about what's going on in Titletown, what are they doing to expand that liquid cash, right? How liquid are these teams to be able to shell out this money for voidable years? Because that is the name of the game until... The owners agree, let's don't do that anymore. That may be coming, but until it does, you got to play the game that's in front of you. You can't just go out there and go, well, I don't want I don't want my players getting hurt. I want to play flag football. Flag football is not an option, Hoss. This is tackle, baby. People are going to get hurt. This is the game you got to play. That's what's going on with avoidable years. You cannot get around it right now. If you're going to compete, it's a necessary evil, okay? But rather than talk about Aaron Rodgers' dating a witch, or Sammy, Sammy Watkins thinks he's a lizard, I'd rather talk about the business aspect of the Green Bay Packers. and What what are they doing to stay in the race with these big-name owners that have endless pockets to keep this thing going in the direction that the league's going? 
Um, that's just me personally. So that's your show for today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in as always, man. Uh, really appreciate it. You probably get tired of hearing it. I hope it comes across as sincere because I'm telling you it is, man. Uh, we've got some stuff going on here at the house, um, health wise with, uh, with the family. And it's actually been a couple of years that we made this transition. And, and like I said, have had my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, uh, you know, moving. We got more than enough room. That's not the issue. It's just when you have loved ones who, uh, you know, in my opinion, I look at my father-in-law like, man, this is this is the guy that gave me uh, the greatest gift I ever received in his, you know, giving me his his daughter's hand in marriage. And when you see someone like that slowly break down over the course of, you know, two to five years, it's been roughly five years. The last two years, like I said, we moved them in with us so we could give them the care they needed and, and just give them a little more, a little more comfort and joy and keep them smiling. Um, when stuff like that happens, it's, it's really, really cool to have a community that we, that I can plug into. And I know my wife has different outlets as well that you can plug into and, and have fun and talk about for me, talk about the Packers and, and getting to know all you guys and all the listeners. I, I can't thank you enough. As many people that email me and say they enjoy the show, I really appreciate that. But uh, the goal for me moving forward is to let you guys and gals know how much I appreciate you and how much it means to me that you take the time to listen to the show and give me feedback. Um, it just, it really means the world. So, uh, yeah, just wanted to take a second, like I said, and say thanks for everything you guys do, um, whether it's in the Facebook group or hitting us up on Twitter or, or hitting up the email account. It really makes this show so much uh, more enjoyable for, for me. So beginning tomorrow on Sunday, the plan is we're going to step into the next phase of the show, and that's going to be we're going to start to self-scout last year's Green Bay Packers. We're going to try to do it in four-game increments. Me and uh, Jacob are going to do it, and we're going to break it down and go, okay, what did they do good? What did they do bad? What changed this offseason? What didn't change? And, and what changes might be coming? Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. That's going to fill that void as we break down last year's uh, you know, uh, results and, and, and recap the year. That's going to fill that void up to training camp. And then when training camp kicks off, we're going to have plenty more stuff to talk about and the season will be underway. Guys, we're almost there. We're, we're roughly one month away, and uh, and I'm jacked about it. So thanks, as always, for tuning in. Let's go out and be the change that we want to see in the world, and go Pack Go. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.